so, you know, this was a building which I think was an old um, bank, like an old savings and loans bank, I think. And it had a huge eagle statue yeah, that couldn't be moved. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, probably the size of the window, really. So like a six foot eagle yeah, statue? Yeah. Are you looking at the eagle's face or the eagle's back? The back, okay. the back of the eagle. So you really had just no view. You were looking into like an, another apartment, you know, in the courtyard. And then you're, the, the little sliver that you were getting natural sunlight looking out into the, you know, to a park was being covered by this eagle. So you've got basically eagle butt out your window yeah. for the rest of your life. Right, right. Good morning, I'm Corey Canton. I'm Maurice Singer. And we are Life for Square Foot. So on that note, today's topic is PPSF or price per square foot. Yes, sort of something of a namesake for us. Exactly. Uh, so we're going to go into why we chose to call ourselves Life per Square Foot. Um, and of course, delve into sort of this phenomena uh, in New York City, whereas everyone is evaluating their home based on price per square foot, as well as uh, how we think they should be looking at the value of their home. So as brokers, we toss around this term PPSF all the time. Uh, but Corey, what is PPSF or price per square foot? So I actually Googled this uh, and I Wikipedia'd. And Google came out with Peter Pan Seafood. Um, and Wikipedia said it was the Palestinian popular struggle. Um, but here in New York City, it is price per square foot which basically is an equalizer or a metric so that when we as brokers are evaluating our clients' homes, we are looking at it based on uh, comparable apartments, uh, what they traded for, and then it's basically the price of the home divided by the square footage of the home. So if you have a $1 million apartment that is 1,000 square feet, then that apartment is 1,000 per square foot. I think people deal with this metric all the time. Like for instance, when you go to the grocery store, if you're in that aisle and there's like 15 different bags of granola and all different kinds, and they're all different prices, you'll notice most grocery stores will have that little number on the price tag that tells you how much it is per pound. And that's actually how you can determine what's the fancy granola and what's the cheap granola. Yes. Exactly. I uh, It turns out that I like really expensive granola. I didn't know it was like $17 a pound right. um, until I went to the checkout yeah, area. Yeah, that's how they get you because they sell you a small bag of it so you feel like you're getting a good deal. Yes. Yeah. That kind of is the sort of a similar concept with real estate. So Corey, what are some numbers in terms of price per square foot, for instance, here in Manhattan? And you know, how does that compare to other cities in the country, for instance, San Francisco? So it's quite fascinating because you know how you read all those stories like US World and News Report, which will say, this is the most expensive city to live in in the US. Um, and I had thought that it was San Francisco, but based on price per square foot, it is so far New York. Um, New York, uh, based on the second quarter Corkin Report, which happens to be the the company that we work for, yep. is 1913 $1,913 per square foot. Yes, okay. that much. And in Brooklyn, it's actually nine fifty four, dollars um, which is for anyone who's run the New York City Marathon, they will tell you it is because Brooklyn is a ginormous borough. Uh, so it varies quite a lot. To your point about San Francisco, uh, San Francisco is actually at eleven eighty five. dollars uh, So it's not even close in, in terms of this barometer. 
why is it that we have this discussion then about San Francisco being more expensive than New York? Like, you know, the, the data can be sliced in different ways. So what is it about San Francisco that makes it more expensive? So San Francisco, it has to do with the median sale price. Uh, so in San Francisco, they're at 1.2 and we are actually at 119. Um, so yeah, it, it, we're absolutely neck and neck. Um, but if you think about San Francisco um, and you just picture it for a second, um, you know, there are houses in San Francisco. So while it might cost you 1.2 to buy a small house on a very big hill, uh, 1.2 in Manhattan is going to get you probably a studio or one bedroom. Uh, with maybe like a half a refrigerator in it. So it's sort of the entry level to buy in that city as compared to ours. So the inventory is very different. Exactly, yeah. yes. Um, so to talk a little bit about, um, you know, how it's used in our industry. Um, so Maurice, when we go in to meet with a seller, uh, how do we use price per square foot? Whenever we're going to go meet with the seller for the first time, we're going to go see that apartment for the first time, we arm ourselves with as much information as possible, and we're going to go in and have a pitch presentation. Uh, it's relatively easy, especially in Brooklyn, where there's a lot of condo inventory, to figure out exactly how big an apartment is. And we'll be able to usually get a bird's eye view of it, which is essentially the floor plan. So we'll use the price per square foot to compare it to other similar apartments that we've been to or that we have sold or that we know have sold to kind of hone in roughly on where we think the price will be. Uh, what's interesting, though, is the price per square foot is this sort of very, very strong analytical tool. But a lot of it gets sort of massaged and becomes kind of fuzzy and gray once you actually get into the apartment because it's that experiential aspect of going into the space that tends to change things a little bit. I sometimes think that it's a fault of ours that we will have a estimation of the home's value prior to even walking into it um, because then it's like written down. And of course, a lot of people think their homes are worth more than they actually are. So they'll look, you know, they'll basically open up our pitch package, um, scan through until they see our price range um, that we have sort of, you know, put forth based on comparable apartments and, you know, realize that it's less than what they thought it was. And then they, you know, basically don't like us. Um, so, it's interesting because we are basing this on comparables, which is what appraisers do, um, but not necessarily the experience of the home, how it's decorated, what the floors look like, if it smells in there, um, which are all very relevant when you're going on the market. So, okay, so that's how we as brokers use price per square foot, but price per square foot is also a tool that buyers like to use as well. And, you know, talk to anybody who's sort of knee deep in the process of buying something and you become really obsessed with this number because, you know, as we've mentioned, it's this metric that we apply to all apartments and it's at least in the beginning how you can decide if you're getting something for a good price. I actually have buyers that will specifically say, I don't want to look at anything, let's say more than 1400 per square foot, um, you know, which I have, you know, always found to be really short-sighted because they are basically saying that if something is valued higher, they don't want to see it. And that sort of segues into... Into the emotional component of it. I mean, really, it's interesting, like, if you think of the whole Myers-Briggs personality test, and there's that one section that says if you're, like, an emotional decider or if yes. you're... Um, what is it? It's emotional versus intuition uh, versus analysis. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I think, four different categories. I'm ESTP for whatever that's worth. I can't remember. Um, I, feel, I feel like every time I've taken it, it changes. Anyway, but we won't go down this rabbit hole. But People become very hyper-analytical in the beginning of this process because they're obsessed with essentially getting this good deal and they're ignoring the emotional component of it. Usually, and that's the component that sort of comes into play once you actually get into the space in the same way that for us, we walk into an apartment having an idea of what the price is, but 
you know, how many times have we sat down in that apartment and, you know, I can see that look that we're having between each other, you know, and we're, you know, sort of psychically telling each other that this is actually worth much more than we thought or in an unfortunate situation worth a lot less. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And that is the life of the life per square foot right. that we want to go into. So this is a perfect time to introduce Tom and Karen. Karen, you heard at the beginning of this episode uh, talking about the eagle's bat or the eagle butt. Eagle butt. Eagle butt. And Tom and Karen were actually in a way the inspiration for the episode. They're both highly analytical individuals, also really emotionally intelligent. And so the way in which they um, kind of went through this process uh, in a search that I called No Stone Unturned because they really had to kind of look at every type of property and, and analyze it in a way that got me thinking. Thank you for having Karen and I on your show. It's a pleasure to be on. Price per square foot was an important metric for us throughout our entire search from beginning to end, and especially at the beginning of our search when we were first delving into neighborhoods all across New York from the Upper West Side to Lower Manhattan to Bed-Stuy, and obviously to Williamsburg, getting your feet wet and figuring out where we wanted to live. And truthfully, we really didn't have one neighborhood in mind. For us, the purchase we're looking to make was not only going to be our home, but we also viewed it as investment. And as a result, we wanted to realize an adequate return over a reasonable time frame in terms of the property we're looking to buy. So for us, the price per square foot became a very important metric that allowed us to normalize and compare properties across different neighborhoods, different buildings, different setups. And it served as a check to ensure that we weren't overpaying. Thank you, Tom. I think price per square foot is especially important at the beginning of one's search when trying to familiarize yourself with what is fair pricing across many different neighborhoods. Like, I remember when I first became an agent and I walked into a one bedroom that was a million dollars and it's like, is, is that for real? Um, and so, you know, how do you know whether or not that pricing is justified um, without kind of following average price per square foot? The other thing to consider is that most people's searches do start online, which is a little bit different than getting into the space. Now that we're sort of in this culture of big data, which sort of dominates all industries at this point, and I, I, I support that, I think it's good. Um, but it's definitely changed, I think, the real estate hunting process because, you know, when we talk to brokers, old school brokers before the internet existed, listings were in big physical books and you didn't have all this data like price per square foot or square footage even. You had photos that you had to physically go look at and then you went and physically saw the space. So you reserved judgment until you were really into that space. But at this point now, because we're so number centric, we're forming a lot of uh, investment decisions or using sort of an investment mindset before we even get into a space, which can be almost contradictory or at least in conflict with the idea that you're buying something you're going to live in. Well, and I think to that end, you know, if you look at Street Easy, they have the price and then they have the price per square foot, like right underneath it. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of clients will tell me, oh, I saw this property, I saw this property in. And then I find out 10 minutes later that they actually haven't been in the property, right? And they have all of these opinions about this place that they've never actually stepped into. Mm -hmm. um, but it means that a lot of people are sort of starting their search um, and, you know, it makes sense that since price per square foot is so at the forefront that it becomes a goal. How can I get the most space for the least amount of money? So Maurice, what is wasted space? Well, wasted space is 
basically unusable square footage. So if you have um, two apartments that are both 700 square feet, but if one of them has 100 square foot of hallway, then that would be somewhat wasted space in terms of how you actually live within that space. Yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, when people, I think, looked at homes, you know, before they were searching on the internet, or really if they're looking at co-ops where square footage isn't listed, they're just arriving to the space and experiencing it. You know, you'll have a certain feeling as to whether or not that's enough space for you or whether or not it works. And so if someone walks into an apartment that they, in their head, think is 1,200 square feet and it really only feels like 1,000, they're going to come back and say that there was some wasted space within the apartment. Exactly, yeah. I mean, the amount of data that we have now, including the detailed floor plans that are sort of mandatory, it feels like, with all listings, everybody is forming really sort of detailed preconceived notions about these spaces, which, you know, could hamstring their efforts in terms of, A, they decide they don't want to see something because they don't think it's right when, in fact, it actually might be perfect, Um, or B, they have such preconceived notions before they get into the space that it's uh, altering their uh, experience. Yeah, which is kind of an interesting thing. It's sort of the preconception that they have walking in. Um, you know, but the other thing that I find a little bit mind-boggling is that ultimately if something is has a low price per square foot, it might mean that it's, you know, kind of awkward in bad condition on a low floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so like where we sell a lot of buildings that, you know, have height, usually something that has a low price per square foot is let's say on the third floor facing a wall. Right. And it can be hard for somebody when they're in that early sort of information stage, when they're just looking at the sort of aggregate real estate sites and digesting square footage and price per square foot. It's like a moth to a flame. You're drawn toward that low price per square foot because you're sort of on this hunt for a good deal. And you're not necessarily thinking, at least until you get into it, about what that means. Yeah. And that like, okay, well, do you want to wake up and look at a wall? Then, you know, it's going to have a really low price per square foot. Yeah. Or an eagle's butt. Or yes, or or, or more uh, in in our instance. Um, so you know what's interesting actually about the eagle butt is that so I used to work in new construction uh, or new developments, and it is a new development tactic that they will have sort of a smattering of listings, but usually the least expensive listing is always up there because it's sort of like bait for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's exactly what this sort of eagle butt was, is that it was, you know, has gorgeous finishes. And of course they actually use stock photos. So you'll notice that it's not like, you're not looking at the eagle butt in. <laughs> right. The photo is the, the unit on the 20th floor, not the third floor. Exactly. Um, so you get drawn in thinking that it looks like the photos and doesn't have an eagle butt. And then you arrive and, and recognize that, you know, it doesn't have the view that you were looking for. And then at that point, the salesperson is like, oh, well, you know, if 3F doesn't work for you, I can show you 20F and you get up to 20F and now you have the bridge view and it's a completely different experience. And while the price per square foot is like 400 more, you know, at that point you're already in the space and they're hoping you're going to make an emotional connection, which is less of a, you know, analytical connection. Right. And that's the strategy that new development uses, which makes a lot of sense. So they're appealing to people's desire and sense of good value and then getting them in the door and then appealing to their uh, experiential and, and emotional reactions to the space, which would ultimately probably have them buy something much more expensive on a higher floor. Yes. So I was thinking a lot about uh, this experience in Tribeca and just in general, which is where the eagle butt was, um, and in general, Tom and Karen, 
um, while I was in uh, Rioja this past summer. Um, and I was at uh, Santiago de Cal- Calatrava has a winery, or actually built a winery. Um, and it only produces really expensive wine. And so in Rioja, just to give you a little debrief, if you want to have, you know, a dollar uh, glasses of Crianza and really cheap croquetas, um, and it's a wonderful place to go. Um, and so I'm sitting here in this really gorgeous building overlooking the Pyrenees uh, while the uh, salesperson was telling us how she was serving us a $40 bottle of wine that was only used with the grapes that were from harvests that were really good weather years um, and you know all of the care that they use. And thinking to myself, why is it that people don't think about apartments in this way? Like, you know, people get so excited about drinking really expensive wine and they, to some extent, pride themselves on this experience. And yet people are just so focused on finding the cheapest per square foot of the place that they are ultimately living. Well, I guess it, it comes down to the difference between thinking about an investment versus thinking about something that you are consuming as an experience, as a luxury good, right? And that even though homes are obviously, especially in certain price brackets, luxury goods, we tend to think of them as, as investments sort of in the same way we would think about purchasing a stock, right? Yeah. And, you know, it, it is that it's two of these things. So, you know, the home purchase is sort of one part buying, you know, an investment, buying a stock or a bond, and one part buying the experience of it. And I think that, you know, since, you know, you drink the wine and you don't sell the wine bottle, right? Mm -hmm. After that, it's done. Um, You're not looking at future value unless you're buying futures, of course, which is a whole other gamut. Um, But, and if you're buying a stock, there's actually no inherent enjoyment to that. Um, You know, people actually frequently ask me about investment properties or second homes. And I say, well, you know, you get to go down to the beach and enjoy that house. So, you know, there's nothing that you can do with your stock and bond. Right. So So, so buying your home is like uh, having your stock and eating it too, essentially. Yes. Actually, that is a wonderful analogy. Um, Or drinking it too, however you want to do it. Um, You know, and so it's funny because you will notice that people will, you know, be excited about a high price per square foot when they sell. Um, Like, you remember uh, one of our sellers actually emailed the entire building, he was the board president, about how he got the highest price per square foot um, in an apartment that we had sold. And it was sort of like he was giving this gift to the building because he was inherently raising the value of the building. Mm -hmm. And so people are interested in that fact when they sell. And I think that in that sense, it makes sense. Yeah, because the the whole notion of price per square foot as it relates to an investment, it's more about completing, like closing that loop, which is to say, when you buy an apartment, the true value and the true price per square foot, I think is really only realized when you sell it. Now, if you never sell your home, if you buy your forever home and you live there forever, then you ultimately, I think, probably don't care about the investment aspect because it it wasn't an, it's only an investment when you sell it. If you live in it forever, then it's just the emotional component. But you know, you brag about it when you actually unload that home. And that's when you basically can realize whether or not you made a sound investment or not. I love actually what you just said, because people will always ask me in the elevator how much their home is worth. And the fact is, it really doesn't matter until you sell your apartment. Um, you know, and that's, if you are thinking about it from the investment perspective, as, as you just noted, it's not a forever home, right? Then 
as a stock, you know, people will hold on to their stocks when they see they go down because ultimately all that matters is the difference between when you bought and when you sold. And so if you're buying something that's junk rated or some buying something that's AAA, clearly one will be more expensive, but really the difference is only, you know, what percentage increase did you get and whether or not you made a good buy. Exactly. So the one thing though that price per square foot does is it kind of serves, I think, as an anchor. So going back to, you know, the new construction, whereas you go up from, you got lured into the third floor and you ended up on the 20th floor, is that you want to make sure that when you're on the 20th floor, that you don't just go ahead and buy it, that you then are, you know, making a decision that it is indeed worth what a 20th floor new construction apartment should be sold for. Right. It's like an emotional correction just in case your emotions get, you know, the better of you. You need to have this sort of science in place to make sure you're not overpaying. Exactly. And so it really kind of helps someone who is analytical like Tom and Karen to, you know, as they, you know, and, and Tom and Karen went totally across the city. They went from Tribeca to Bedsty to Greenpoint. Um, and ultimately through that kept on sort of checking in with price per square foot. And then of course, different lifestyles that these neighborhoods afforded them. You know, ultimately they inspired me because in their no stone unturned search, we went everywhere and they kept kind of checking back in to price per square foot, which was completely different in Bedsty than it was in Tribeca um, and Park Avenue to Greenpoint. Um, but it ultimately kind of, it was in a way their anchor to kind of evaluate what the neighborhood should trade for. And then of course, the different lifestyles that were afforded there for the difference from living in a loft to living in a house. And so it really was just quite fascinating looking at the city from that lens. Um, but ultimately they ended up um, in a wonderful apartment, which I will let Tom talk about. And as Corey wisely predicted at the beginning, we ended up in the building where we actually met Corey. And it just happened to be that a unit came on the market that had a great view. It, the layout was optimal for what we were looking for. It was in Williamsburg, so it was in the neighborhood we ideally wanted to be in. The only challenge that we faced was that it was at a higher price per square feet. I think we really had to take a step back and think philosophically about what we wanted and ultimately realize that at the end of the day, while price per square foot was an excellent barometer or general benchmark, it shouldn't hold us back from finding something that was very compelling and that justified the price per square foot we're buying. You know, Corey, you talk about using price per square foot as this lens to look at the purchase with, and I think that is really apt in that it's actually two lenses. You need to use price per square foot as a lens, but you also need to use the life per square foot as another lens to see a complete picture about what makes the most sense, right? Well, it's like, ultimately, I think so many people are so focused on price per square foot that the reason that, you know, there are many reasons, I guess, we are calling this podcast life per square foot, um, but it is the human element. It is what is the experience in the home? What do you like? Like there are clients that do acknowledge the point of it doesn't matter how cheap it is if I walk in it and I don't feel it, right. you know, and, and we're, you know, this is an industry that's not, you know, touchy feely, but there absolutely is that element of, do you want to live here? Right. The thought, the sort of 
the the obsessive thought process around price per square foot and around getting a deal will really only dominate your thoughts when you purchase it and in the event that you sell it. And the rest of that time, which is going to be, let's say, the 95% of the rest of the time that you're in that apartment, it is that life that you're spending there. Exactly. So it's only during the transaction that you are concerned so much with the price per square foot. The however many years that you live in that apartment or house, it is your life. It's much more important. All right. Well, thank you everyone so much. I'm Corey Canton. I'm Corey Singer. And we are Life per Square Foot. There you go. What are the your fa- the restaurants nearby? What are the exercise classes that you go to? Um, what's your favorite coffee shop? And those are all things that, you know, let's say Bed-Stuy um, didn't have to offer for us for our lifestyle and how old we were and what we were looking for. So this was kind of a perfect combination of commute, lifestyle, um, and amenities in an apartment and one that we feel really happy to wake up in. And I think that's a component, you know, that's like an X factor that's very hard to value, but it's not something that a prospective buyer, when you look to sell, would would kind of turn a blind eye to. A prospective buyer also comes in and is going to have a similar emotional reaction to it.